welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're very kind. I appreciate your kindness. The Lord sends me to places sometimes where they're not so kind. And so I've learned to appreciate kindness, and I thank you for that. I was invited by Pastor Steve over three years ago to come, and I I promised him I would do my best, but I didn't realize it would take three years to get here. <laughs> but I'm excited about being here. Your, your pastors are precious. Uh, they actually came to one of our conferences last year and served during the conference, uh, Steve and, and Kay, and... I had the opportunity to be able to have dinner with them, and it was precious. And so you are blessed to have a pastor and his wife that, that love you and care for you, and he really does. Uh, I'm, uh, I know that he invited me to be a blessing to you and to encourage you, and that's what I'm going to do for the next three sessions. Let me just, before I start, I'll begin in Hebrews chapter 12, if you have your Bibles or whatever way you have scriptures available with all the new technology. But Hebrews chapter 12, before I do that, I just want to uh, honor whoever put the sign in the, in the bathrooms. Uh, what an what a awesome sign. It says, please do not flush women or baby products down the toilet. And I'm honored to be in a church that loves women enough. Not to flush them down the toilet. That is awesome. Praise God. It just sort of sort of struck me kind of funny. Uh, anyway, we're going to have a good time in the Lord, and you will be blessed. And I pray that you not only are able to come back, but that you bring somebody who needs an encouraging word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this time together, sanctified time. This is an appointment, Father. I'm not here by accident, nor are these precious people. And so thank you for your word that is forever settled in heaven and earth. Settle us now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12 is where I want to begin. And the writer of this book is encouraging God's people, specifically the Hebrew people, to run their race and to be loyal and faithful to Jesus. And yet many have not heeded those admonitions in these challenging times that we have. In chapter 3, he talks about how that many of God's people did not enter God's rest because of their unbelief. And in chapter 10, he talks about how that God's soul has no pleasure when we draw back. And yet we're living in an hour That God is calling us to step up to the plate in a new and powerful way. And many of God's people 
are drawing back instead of pressing in to all the wonderful things that God is about to explode on this planet. So I want to encourage you to be loyal to Jesus in these last of the last days and to be faithful to your calling. Be faithful to endure and to run your race. We didn't begin this race called Christianity. This thing goes all the way back to the garden. And Abel is talked about in Hebrews chapter 11 and how his faith in God and how he responded to the amazing grace of God and ran his race. And even after being murdered, his blood testified of his righteousness. And on and on it goes in chapter 11 with Enoch and we could go on with Abraham and and Isaac and Jacob who each generation was faithful to run their race And to pass this legacy of God's amazing grace to each generation. And yet again, we are living in challenging times and people are fainting at large when God has given me a rhema word that we're in the beginning of a great awakening. This is not the time to back up, back out, or back down in the kingdom of God. This is the time to be infused with God's kingdom principles and strengthened to be faithful and loyal and run our race and make sure we're passing something of eternal value down to our children. Because if the Lord tarries, challenging times are here now, but even greater challenging times may be on the horizon. And our young people need to know how to live by faith. They need to learn how to run what I call a, a race of grace. I don't know if you figured this out or not, but in the kingdom of God, it is no longer about race. It is about grace. We are a grace people made up of all different colors, socioeconomic backgrounds, male, female, again, rich or poor. Every nation has been called to receive The amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you get born again, race is no longer an issue in the eyes of God. Grace is the issue. And we are a people of grace. Listen, in a race of grace. We are to run this race by the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ now. And yet most of God's people are simply not prepared to handle the challenges that are ahead. The challenges of the times much less go forward. My, my goal is to encourage you to not only stand and be able to stand in all these things that are happening in our world, but also progress in the things of God, mature in the things of God. Be blessed and a blessing. Amen? Amen. All right, Hebrews, have you found chapter 12 yet? If you haven't found it, you probably won't, so you need to look on with somebody else. Amen? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us or knock us out of this race. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you be wearied and faint 
in your minds. He's talking to born again, spirit filled believers. And he's saying, if you don't receive this admonition, you could actually get weary even in well-doing and faint in your minds. And yet I see throughout the country so many godly and good people fainting in their minds. They're absolutely discouraged and dismayed by all the things that are happening in our culture. Many are still overwhelmed with this this COVID-19 issue. And it's almost a trigger subject. Even in a spirit-filled church, it is difficult to address even an issue like that because people have gotten weary in their minds and are fading. They say they love Jesus. They say they're following Jesus. They say they have faith. But when you try to explain all this happening and the fear mongering that's going on, that's preparing a generation to submit to the spirit of Antichrist, even good Christians faint in their minds. They can't seem to see what's right in front of their face. I'm, I'm hesitant to say something in my own church, in your church. In regards to that that issue. But one thing I do know is that God does not want you to fear any plague, any disease, and that you are healed by the stripes of Jesus. God doesn't want us to have to capitulate to the government and submit to something that violates our conscience And that we're told now we can't buy and we can't sell unless we wear a mask. And yet God's people are so immature, so dismayed by all this happening, they don't don't even hear what I just said. They get offended or confused on, on the issue of mask. Man, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I'm not condemning you for wearing a mask. If you feel that helps you, please wear the mask. But pay attention, they're saying that doesn't work anymore. Now you've got to wear two. I'm not sure which lie we have to believe that's going to protect us, but on and on it goes with fear-mongering and condemning people into following after something and looking unto something besides the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm not against masks. I'm against a government telling me I have to wear it or I can't go to work. Or I can't buy. The book of Revelation warns me of the mark of the beast and that a day will come. Today's not that day. This is preparation for the day that's coming. There'll come a day unless you receive a mark. Unless you receive a mark, the mark of the beast, you won't be able to sell. That means you will not be able to have a business or a company or run your business. And you won't be able to buy. God warns us of these things that are coming. This is a prelude to it. And God's people are asleep because they're looking unto everything but Jesus. They're running a, a race that I'm not sure that God ever called us to run. And so people are just getting weary and fainting in their minds. The government abuse that has been tolerated is a prelude of a corrupt government to come That will impose things upon God's people that will lead to persecution like you've not ever seen. Then prosecution. Then execution. That's the history in the Bible of corrupt governments. 
and history of the world. And yet when we try to come along and just help people understand the corruption that's in the government that is causing an entire generation to be weary and faint in their minds, people don't even understand what they're saying or what we're saying. They think, you know, we've become political or that we're looking to the government. No, it's just the opposite. We're not against government. God ordained government, but he didn't ordain corrupt government. He didn't ordain what we're seeing today. And we are to look unto the government to sustain us as the people of God. Because if you do, I promise you in these last days, you're going to get weary and faint in your mind. So let's talk about some of these things and how to run our race and not get weary and faint in our mind. The writer gives us three key elements to running the race of grace, to living a life of grace, and now by faith, accessing this wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that provides everything we have need of, not only in this life, but the life to come. So three major things. Number one, he says, you have to avoid the sin. Everyone say the sin. The sin. The sin. Not sin. The sin. And then he says, that easily besets us. So whatever the sin is that he's encouraging us to avoid, it involves us all. How many of you know we all have sin and sinned, but we don't all have the same sins? Some of you, your sins are a lot worse than mine. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) We have different Issues in our lives and you can't make a blanket statement that everybody has the same sins while we all struggle with sins. We don't all struggle with the same sin. But he said there's one sin, the sin, and it easily, everybody say easily. Easily. It easily besets God's people. Beset means knocks you out of the race. Well, my goodness, that's enough for me right there. I want to know what the sin is if it easily has knocked generations of Christians out of this race? What in the world is that? And I want to make sure I avoid that. Then he said, you have to lay aside every weight. Every weight. We're in a race. A grace race toward the kingdom of God. We are the first fruits. If you're born again, you are the first fruits. You're the new creation of God. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are the first fruits, the new creation of God that's headed toward a new heaven and a new earth where nothing but righteousness will reign. So that is a race now toward God's kingdom that we are running. And he said, you have to deal with weights. That we all have to deal with weights. That could be sins. It could be carnality. Have you ever met a Christian that's a good old boy and he's just not running a good race? He does love God. He shows up at church, at least on Easter and Christmas. He's very excited about that, that he's that committed. And amen. And you think, how much more could this person be and do if they just laid aside some weights? Things that may not even be sin. But you're just addicted to stuff. People are addicted to television and it can be a weight. People are addicted to the modern gadgets today and it can be a weight. I know people addicted to Facebook and now they're 
so much on Facebook, their face isn't in the book and they're fainting in their minds because of all the evil that's coming upon the planet, upon the planet. So that could become a weight. I'm not against iPhones. I preach off of an iPhone. Trust me, I'm not looking at my emails up here. I'm reading my Bible. I have 25, 30 different um, versions and translations of the Bible. I remember early in my ministry traveling and I had like three or four suitcases. And I would be going into the hotel, bringing all these suitcases in. And they were full of books. They were full of different translations of the Bible, a Strong's Concordance, a Bynes Expository Dictionary on New Testament uh, Greek words. And I mean, it was like I carried a library into my into my hotel room because for years I would travel and I didn't do anything but pray and do the meeting. I didn't go out into the community and, you know, I didn't do anything. Bottom line is I can have it all here right now and I can carry this in my back pocket. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm not against it. Don't miss me. But I'm saying you can be addicted to this and it become a weight. I need to get a witness here or I can share some other weights. You'll sit there long enough. I'll find your weight. Smoking is not a sin, but it can be a weight that can hinder you in your race. I believe with all my heart, smoking will not send you to hell. It'll make you smell like you've been there, but it will not send you to hell. But it can be a weight. And I could name weight after weight after weight that we may not necessarily say is a sin, but it's holding you down. It's keeping you from fulfilling God's plan for your life. And then he says how you have to run it is you have to run it, this race, number three, with patience. Wow. Patience. That word patience means endurance. There's just hardships to this race. And I know, I'm a grace minister and a faith preacher, and I believe in victory, I believe in blessings, I believe that we've already overcome, I believe that we're already blessed, I believe that God has provided everything that pertains to life and godliness in this man Jesus and for this race, but in this race there's opposition. And if you don't understand how to handle opposition, you'll get weary and faint in your mind. So let's go Let's go back to number one. Number one, the sin. What is the sin that easily besets God's people? Are you ready? It's looking unto something besides Jesus in the running of your race. It's considering something besides Him. He said we have to look unto Jesus in the running of this race and we have to consider Him. And all of us are subject to duplicity of focus. All of us are tempted to get our eyes off of the Lord. And while that may not be what we would call a sin, it is deadly if not dealt with immediately as you're running your race. Because a lot of times you just get your eyes off of the Lord and before you know it, you are looking unto something besides Jesus in the running of your race. And I'm telling you, it easily besets God's people. It is the number one challenge we have in the church while... God has called, I believe, Pastor Steve to address certain issues. He certainly has called me and encouraged me to remain bold, loving but bold, and and kind but firm 
over all these cultural issues that are poisoning the minds of our young people. And I guarantee you, you step out and you begin to share your faith in the culture now, it'll create opposition. And it'll discourage you. It'll cause you to get dismayed. It'll cause you to get weary and faint in your mind. You, you are at risk, many of you, in your, in your careers now, even making us stand for one of the simplest things in the entire Bible, and that is what a marriage is. If you try to minister to young people what a marriage is, that it's between a male and a female, a boy and a girl, you could lose your job in this culture. See, we didn't have these issues. See, young people don't understand this. We didn't have these issues 50 years ago. We had problems in our culture. We had issues of racism that had to be dealt with for sure. We had other issues in the culture that had to be dealt with, but the culture didn't have enmity against the church like the culture has enmity now against the church. So our battles are, are changing here on how we war a good warfare. And a lot of people do not know. Young people today, I'm not being mean to any of the younger people. I'm just saying they don't know what a marriage is. They don't know. It's not that they've rebelled. They, they don't know what one is. They don't know any better. They don't know there's only two genders. That Jesus addressed these issues. I have people all the time that come at me and, and, and say things like, Well, Jesus never addressed gay marriage. What Bible have you not read? What translation do you not know? In Mark chapter 10, Jesus was confronted over the issue of marriage and divorce. And the Pharisees were tempting him like the media tempts us today. The modern day Pharisees of today are the national media saints. They are snakes. Well, let me move on. The Pharisees of Jesus' day confronted him to entrap him and said, well, Moses gave us a bill of divorcement. What do you say? And Jesus said, Moses gave you that bill of divorcement. He allowed divorce, not because it was God's will, but because of the hardness of your hearts. Then Jesus, the Son of God, God made flesh, said, from the beginning, God made them male and female. Your gender comes from God, not gender fluidity. How simple... How simple is that? That there's only two genders. But now there's a professed 57 and you are celebrated in the culture if you understand gender fluidity. And if you wake up one day as as a boy by genetic and biological and God-given gender and you decide you're a girl, you can play in the sports now with the girls, win everything. When the season of that sport is over, you can declare, I'm a boy again. And the culture will celebrate that. That's perversion. You talk about damaging people's minds. I'm not condemning them if they don't know they're a boy or a girl, but somebody needs to find some tough love. And I don't have the courage to find that right now. So how sad is that? My point is, if we're that confused in this culture, we don't know. God made two genders. We don't know what a marriage is. What else are we totally confused over? And what's poisoning the minds of our young people? And we, the church, are afraid to speak out and speak the truth to them in love so that they can run their race if the Lord tarries. If the Lord tarries, we have to have a great awakening or we're going to lose everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Everything. 
And the reason I'm so excited is I have the privilege of of having a, a word from God, a vision from God of all of this corruption is going to reach an apex and God is going to wake people up. And when they wake up, we better be the sanctuary that they can find the truth in the ground and pillar of the truth. That is running our race. We cannot look unto anything but Jesus in these last of the last days. And yet people are looking unto the world for solutions to problems that God has resolved at the cross. And we're not skillful enough to take people to the cross, evidently, and show them the power of the cross And what this great salvation is, and that we can look unto Jesus and be healed of all of our rejection. We can look unto Jesus and be healed of our brokenheartedness. We can look unto Jesus and be healed of all of the pain that sin has brought into the world. Instead of looking unto this group, looking unto that movement, looking unto this thing. And the church is being sucked into looking unto something besides Jesus In the running of the race. One of the things God had to teach me that he was teaching the Hebrews is that you have to look unto Jesus and not Moses in the running of your race. I grew up in church culture that was very legalistic. And you'd have thought Moses died for every one of us. You'd have thought Moses was the Savior. Because we heard very little about Jesus and the cross, but boy, we knew about Moses. And we knew about the law. And somehow or another, it's as if that entire generation got their eyes off of Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, and started looking unto Moses in the running of the race. In the churches I grew up under, you had to look unto Jesus to get saved. Now, they did teach that. You can't get saved without Jesus Without the blood of Jesus. You can't be forgiven of your sins, cleansed and washed without the cross and the blood of Jesus. But after you got saved, now the way you live the Christian life is under the law. Amen. And instead of running their race looking unto Jesus, we started running our race looking unto Moses. How do you be holy? How do you overcome sin? They take us to Moses. And in Galatians, that entire book was written again to... To counteract that kind of thinking. And in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. I love it. It says. Who has bewitched you. You foolish Galatians. That'd be like me standing up here. Who has bewitched you. You foolish Leanonians. (laughs) I probably ruined that didn't I. (laughs) How many people have been ruined. And faint in their minds under legalism. Because they don't understand grace. They don't know how to look unto Jesus who's full of grace and truth. They don't understand 2 Timothy 2.1. Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus. If you're looking unto Jesus, you're looking unto grace and truth. And in Galatians chapter 3 verse 2, after he slaps them, called them foolish, said, tell me, how did he... Work the Spirit among you. How did the Spirit of God work among you? Was it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did people perform miracles, he said? How were miracles performed among you? Was it by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? 
And then he says, have you have you ran and began in vain thinking that you could be perfected now in your walk with God by your flesh? And when you come under the law, when you look to the law, you actually are looking under your own ability and your own holiness and your own self-righteousness to be used by God, to be blessed by God. And it'll wear you out. You want to get weary and well-doing? Come under the law. Because no matter how hard you try to keep it, to be blessed under the law, you have to keep all of it. Not some of it, not more than others. You've got to keep all of it to be blessed. And the problem's not the law, the problem's me. I can keep most of it, I can probably keep more than some of you. But I can't keep all of it. And if you miss it in one point, James says, if you miss it in one point, you're guilty of all of it. So trying to serve God now under law and legalism will wear you out. It'll wear you down. You, you'll get faint. Weary in your heart and literally faint. I did. I literally collapsed early in my Christian life trying to be holy in my own strength and feeling condemned. I carried so much condemnation because I knew the bitterness of my own heart. I can remember going to church and even self-righteousness trying to come upon me. And I knew after the flesh, I am better than the preacher. I'm living more holy than the preacher. And yet that thought alone condemned me. That's self-righteousness. It was the truth, but it was (laughs) self-righteousness. It was me looking at me. It was pride. Amen. And I could go on for hours. If you'd sit there, I'd do it. I better not say that here. But if you're going to run this race and be effective, you're going to have to look unto Jesus. What does that mean? I've got to look unto grace because Jesus is full of it. And I've got to know the truth in regards to the sacrifice of Jesus, the cross, and what this man has done for me. You'll never live holy and be holy after your own efforts, might, and power. You can only live holy and be holy by looking unto Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in your life. That is purging you and pruning you. That's why we got to love each other and be patient with one another. The Holy Spirit is chastening each and every one of us. He's pruning us. He's bringing the holiness of God into our lives. We've entered into a rest, the finished work of Christ. It's begun now in our spirit. We're righteous and truly holy. And now as I just set my mind on the Lord and look unto the Lord, He changes me supernaturally. And that's called holiness. I can't change myself. I can't change you. That's why I don't argue with people and I don't debate with you. I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll answer questions if you have any, but I'm not going to fight with you. And I'm not going to try to convince you I'm right and you're wrong about something. We're all wrong about something. And in time, you'll find something wrong with me if we argue long enough. But if I share the truth, the word of God, and you ever know the truth, the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. It will make you free. It'll make you uncomfortable usually before it makes you free. Let's be honest. Am I the only one that hears the truth sometimes and go, ow, ugh, ah. Amen. Sometimes man just telling the truth. I'm not talking about being mean, mean or rude. I'm talking about God said this. The world says that. That is a lie. And I'm going to call that a lie and let God be true. That can make you uncomfortable. But welcome to the race. I said, welcome to the race. That the Holy Spirit is purging us. All right. Because of time, let me let me go ahead and move on to weights. 
Because this is huge. He said that we need to be cautious of the sin that easily besets everybody. We're looking unto everything but Jesus and we're considering. While I got to look at all the problems in the world and be honest about it, I got to consider Jesus. Consider his word in the light of whatever problem I'm looking at. And so once we get past that, he said, and every weight that so that that again can slow us down in our race and weights can be all kinds of things. Let me give you the number one way, believe it or not, that I've discovered over decades of helping God's people. And this is a shocker for most people. The number one weight. And, and I can say this in a lot of different ways. Let, let me say weights. Because it, there's a combination of a few things. The biggest weight when I meet one-on-one with people that are really struggling and getting weary is guilt, condemnation, and shame. People simply don't know how to deal with condemnation. They don't know how to deal with the guilt of the past. The guilt of just not being perfect. I remember early in the ministry, I really felt like I would come to a place... That, again, I would be so mature and I just wouldn't make the mistakes that I made early in my Christian life. And I found out that, yes, while I make fewer mistakes than I did in 1965 when I met Jesus, now when I make a mistake, the temptation to beat myself up has to be overcome or disqualify myself or condemn myself. Because the first thing I'll hear in my head when I do a piece of stupid. Now, have any of you done a piece of stupid before I tell all me? This section right in there is hope. Well, some people are getting saved. Man, we've all done a piece of stupid. It's like, it, it's like when a friend of mine it recently, he did something and I went, that was a piece of stupid. What were you thinking? And his answer was a classic. I wasn't. (laughs) We do things and we're not thinking. And I thought again, yes, I would do less, but I thought I thought I could get through it quicker. It's almost like I feel worse today when I make a mistake because I know better than years ago when I'd make a mistake. I could kind of I could kind of excuse it away. I'm not saying I didn't repent, but I could kind of say, well, I'm just immature or well, I'm young. I didn't know that. In my mind. And I could get over it quicker. Now, it, 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 it can knock me out of the race. And I'm telling you, you may not receive this. You may not feel this. But you have family and you have friends that are not seeking God. They're not in church. They're not running their race. And it's because their conscience condemned them over something. I remember sitting in church and the devil lying to me. And I deceived myself into thinking, until I'm perfect, I am not going to continue this race because I don't want to be a hypocrite. One of the, one of the, even the devil knows the word hypocrite. The world loves the word hypocrite. They are, they are hypocrites, but they love calling a Christian a hypocrite. A hypocrite is an actor. That's what the word literally means. A hypocrite is someone pretending to be something they know they're not, nor they they desire to be. You didn't catch that. Not even a nod to God. A hypocrite is an actor pretending to be something they're not with no intent to ever be. That's a hypocrite. A hypocrite is not somebody that believes here's God's standard and I fell short of it and now I need to repent. 
It bothers me. That is not a hypocrite just because you're failing or falling short still of the glory of God. A hypocrite is a pretender. And yet I got deceived and I had to deal with that weight in my life, an oversensitive conscience. And the devil will use your conscience to condemn you. Your family, I love your family. I'm not being mean to your families. I don't know any of you, so I can say this with a pure conscience. Your family at times will try to condemn you. And I guarantee you, if you don't wake up soon, the culture is trying to condemn you into silence. Who do you think you are speaking up and out on that issue? You're not perfect. And see, if we don't know how to run our race, if we don't know how to be humble and bold... We won't know how to even answer that. How can you speak out on sexual purity? You haven't been perfect. How can you speak out? I won't name other things. (laughs) And the answer is simple. Is you are right. I am not perfect after the flesh. And I have been made righteous, not with self-righteousness or my own righteousnesses that are filthy rags. But I have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And that same blood that forgave me, cleansed me, and changed me. That same blood, Hebrews chapter 9, says in verse 14, that it will purify and purge your conscience from dead works. To serve the living God. You could say it this way. If you don't know how to purge your conscience from dead works. If you don't know how to purge your conscience from mistakes or shortcomings. You won't serve and continue to serve the living God. You'll get faint. You'll give up. You'll give out. And yet we've not been taught at large. How do I deal with, okay, I did sin. It does bother me. Well, I have to by faith now as I repent, trust the eternal spirit. To purge my conscience from that dead work so I can keep serving the living God. I don't come to people and I don't point out a sin or a flaw in their life from a self-righteous position. But from a forgiven position and from a merciful position. That you're right, I'm not perfect. And guess what? God has forgiven me, cleansed me and washed me. And that same God will forgive you, cleanse you and wash you if you'll repent. I'm not bringing sin out even from the podium. As if I have none or never have. It is from the righteousness of Christ that I've been made by faith. That I can speak on sexual purity. That I can speak on these other issues of our culture. Not because I've arrived or I'm the standard. I'm looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of my faith. Amen. You got to lay it aside. Everybody messes up. Everybody makes mistakes. And if you don't learn to purge your conscience. Your own conscience will condemn you and you won't serve the living God. All right. Number three. Number three. And again, under that under that guilt and condemnation, number two, a weight. A lot of people are falling out of the race just because they're discouraged. Am I the only one that's tried to stop sinning? Now, I don't expect a response on this. Okay, everybody be cool. I remember one time I started ministering on adultery and a man jumped up and cussed me out and ran out of the church. I didn't know he was having an affair. If he'd have just sat there and been cool, he'd have got away with it. So, where was I going before I got on track? What was I saying? Discouragement. 
a lot of people struggle with the weakness of their flesh. I could say all of us probably struggle with something of a weakness in our flesh. And it's different weaknesses. Some people just can't handle alcohol. Let's just cut to the chase. I mean, one sip. And they're dancing on the table stripping. I mean, they just can't handle it. It's a weakness literally in their flesh. Others, it may be um, lust. It may be drugs. What, did somebody confess and I didn't know it of something? I'm trying. Everybody be cool on this. So what happens is, what happens is, watch this. You really do love God. You're trying to make a righteous stand in your family for your kids. And you know they're going to hold it over you. And you mess up. Yeah, God loves you. God doesn't forsake you. His forgiveness is eternal. It's past tense, present tense, and future tense. I don't have time to explain that. But the forgiveness we have in Jesus and the blood He shed was for all sin forever. And so with God, I can make it right. And God not only cleanses me and washes me of it, He doesn't hold it over me. But everybody else does. Everybody else does. Your family will hold it over. Your friends, co-workers. Here you've been witnessing to them. Now you have failed. So the idea is to condemn you. Satan knows this. Discourage you. And you just quit running the race. We have to learn how to deal with all these weights. And that's a part of good church culture. All right. The last one, number three. I didn't look at my time. Uh, Number three. uh, Am I all right? Number three. Number number three, got plenty of time. Shouldn't have said dad, hallelujah. Like sick him to a hound dog, amen. Bottom line is, number three says you've got to run with patience. Patience. Patience is something that gets developed in your life. It's not a gift. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit takes time. And... I can't speak for everybody. I I believe in some cases I'm a very patient man. I'm certainly very patient in my pastoral role. But they're just in my private life. Sometimes I just don't have patience. I just, I want this, I want it now. This needs to be done. And it needs to be done now. This needs to stop. It's wrong. And it needs to stop now. And there's this microwave Christianity that has, has drifted into the church. Where we expect everything instantly. We live in an instant gratification society. You can just go back a few generations, saints, and it took you a while to sin. <laughs> you had to work at it. I mean, you, you couldn't even get around except by horse and buggy. So you couldn't go to the t- town 30 miles away, get drunk, sleep with a harlot without a lot of work. <laughs> Y'all aren't getting this. I mean, it was hard. It was just hard to sin. (laughs) You had to work at most sin. And it took days to really work it out. You can sin instantly on the Internet in seconds. Well, there's there's a lot God wants to teach us that's coming. In regards to the information revolution that we're all a part of. One of the things that's on my heart, I may share it at the conference, I'm not positive yet, is just seed time and harvest. 
Things used to take longer in sowing a seed to get a harvest. Does that make any sense at all? Now, like for instance, if you gossiped a hundred years ago, you're only going to damage three or four people until you get on your horse and buggy and go 30 miles away. And now you damage three other people that has consequences. And then you got to go 30 miles. That's why dairy, uh, uh, dairy queens are all 30 miles apart. They used to have to go there horse and buggy. It takes, takes a whole day to go 30 miles. So everything was 30 miles apart. But anyway, it would take you a long time to destroy and defraud somebody's mind with gossip that will cause a harvest of sowing and reaping to come back into your life. Now you can go on the internet and you can gossip and destroy thousands of people's hearts and lives and livelihoods in seconds. Do you think that's not a seed that is sown that will cause a harvest? See, we're not prepared for the harvest of the darkness of this world that's escalating because we're not looking unto Jesus. We're not laying aside every weight at large. And we haven't understood patience and how we have to endure some things in order to run an effective, effective race. In this same book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Do not be slothful. Don't be lazy and followers of them that have been that way. But through faith and patience... We inherit the promises. A lot of people just don't have patience on the promises of God manifesting in their lives. And we all, I don't care who the preacher is. It's hard to find honest preachers. It's hard to find people that are truly transparent. We all believe certain things. We've operated in it, seen a a promise come. Then we hit a wall. And it's like, wait a minute. I know what the word says. And I'm standing, but it's not manifesting in a few hours like at times you've experienced. There's been times I have prayed for people, and I mean thousands of people instantly healed. Others, it didn't manifest right then. They had to run with patience. They had to endure and stand. And on and on I could go with testimony after testimony. If you don't understand patience and how patience is developed in your life... You will get impatient even with God and His promises. I know the Bible says this, but this is what it looks like. And you get discouraged. Go, go to Hebrews. Let's back up. I think I'm okay on my time. I feel like I'm coming up on the, on the... Let's go to Hebrews. Back up to this one. Normally I would just quote this. But since you seem disciplined, at least in bladder... I, I, I had, a, I had a, a Baptist minister come to my last conference and he was just on fire for God. And toward the end, you know, he comes up to me and says, I, I got to step out. He says, I truly have a Pentecostal heart, but a Baptist bladder. So I thought that was pretty cool. Go back to Hebrews 10. Look at verse 32. But call to remembrance... Appreciate you having that last scripture up. That's pretty awesome. I did not give the media 
the scriptures. So any scripture they're putting up, it's because they are awesome. Let's give them a hand. Verse 32, Hebrews 10. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Now think about that for a minute. I need to hurry here because I got three days with you, so I'm not going to abuse you. But think about that. After you were illuminated, after you got a revelation of God, after you saw a truth, you had to endure a great fight of afflictions. I guarantee you I'm not the only one within the sound of my voice right now that has said, why is this happening to me? I know what God's word says. I know what God said to me. God said some things to me recently that if I didn't act in what I'm teaching and preaching right now, it would have discouraged me and dismayed me to probably quit the ministry. We have faced some things politically that are just so corrupt and people are so deceived. It can be discouraging as a minister to not see with my eyes people smarter than what we see in our culture, even Christians. They're so easily deceived. It's like, why can't you see this? You're blinded to it. Then you get this revelation. It's like, I see this. God has spoken to me. It's clear. And immediately there's a great fight of afflictions. You get attacked. I've got a new book coming out. Biggest privilege and honor of my life. My publisher actually asked me to write a book. That's got to be the, it will be the one of the biggest honors of my entire life. Coming from my background, for a publisher to ask me to write a book is huge. But he had heard my messages on the counterculture. How that we are about to see a counterculture come out of the church to a corrupt culture. We're going to see... Our culture, whether you see it or face it or not, is filled with darkness, death, and deception. There has to be a counterculture to it. It's supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be a culture of life, man. We love life, and, and we love light, and we love love. The culture of hate, death, and darkness is absolutely rising like this Goliath. And the church has been stealth for so long, we don't understand we're the counterculture to that. Things are supposed to be different in here than out there. No one of color should feel rejected. Period. And on and on I could go. No one of poverty should feel rejected. This is a counterculture of God's kind of love. It's a counterculture of light and life. Well, the writer here says... Don't forget, call to you, remember, as soon as you got a revelation, you got attacked. And yet, how many people hear God get attacked and then draw back? Amen. Can you just see me on CNN being interviewed? It would, you can see it. Man, all I see is disaster. All I see is a train wreck with me going, Cooper. Cooper, don't you understand? Jesus is the Son of God, and He came and His kingdom is here right now, Coop. Don't you understand there's a kingdom like leaven that's right here in the middle of all this hate that you propagate, all this death that you propagate, and all this darkness that you propagate. There's a company of people throughout this country that are a people of love and light and life. Hallelujah. 
think I lost my mind. And I would tell him, thank God I lost my mind a long time ago and I'm operating, operating in the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. That is a mind that knows God. It sees God. It sees His kingdom. And yet when that happens, he said, you'll have to fight against the fight of afflictions. Now when something bad happens, I don't say, why does this happen to me? When something bad happens, now I go, I know why this happened to me. It's because I love God. If I didn't love God, you know, if I didn't love God, nobody, nobody would hate me. Nobody would hate me. I wouldn't have one adversary if I was one of them. It's because I love God that certain people hate me. It's because I love the truth that certain people reject me. They hated Jesus. They rejected him. The servant's not greater than the master. And yet the church isn't prepared for the pushback just for preaching the truth in love. He says, after you were illuminated... You endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while you were made gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. It's a little convoluted. All he's saying is, a lot of you are hated and rejected because you're like me. Paul is saying, because you're one of my companions, everybody's mad at me, he's mad at you. Y'all didn't get that. I, I guess I'm. I guess I'm on a track that I'm having to. I'm having to evaluate. I, I was ministering with my good friend Andrew Walmack, and we were under duress and threat of arrest. The governor was going to arrest him and shut the meeting down. There was a warrant out for his arrest, and he looks at me and he goes, "Hey, they may come tonight and arrest me. Would you go ahead and take over the message?" <laughs> No, I'm looking for the back door. Hallelujah. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be on record as a felon. Of course, that wasn't my response. It was like, boy, just if they arrest, I told Andrew, I said, if they arrest you, it'll be the biggest mistake Satan has made in a decade. And I'll stand up here and I'll preach whatever you was going to preach and I'll preach it better than you preached it and I'll fix it. There were hundreds of pastors there. And I guarantee if they would have arrested him, we'd have seen a godly pushback of government abuse. And he didn't get arrested. The point is, these are foreign things to our minds in America. We're a Judeo-Christian country and we've not had all this opposition. Because everybody born into this country for a... A few decades was taught God is the author of our freedom and morals is what keeps a society together. You don't have to be a Christian to be moral. You don't have to be a Christian to have ethics. These are all Christian values and the culture embraced them at large. But now the culture is rejecting anything that is near and dear to God is being rejected. And so he says, man, you're in trouble because you know me. For you had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Let me encourage you. I'm closing here. Do not cast away your confidence in God. It has great recompense reward. Even if we died 
were martyred, which is the worst thing that can happen to us. Jesus would be standing up to greet us in heaven. Do you realize the first martyr, Stephen, in the Bible that was martyred, he was killed for the faith under the New Testament. The first martyr under the New Testament, just before he died, he saw heaven open and he saw Jesus standing up to greet him. The Bible says Jesus is seated in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God. But Jesus was standing up to greet Stephen into heaven because Stephen stood up down here for Jesus. He's standing up up there for us. Hallelujah. You need to be confident in that. Now, look at verse 36. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. He's not talking about legalism here. We got to do the will of God to get the promise. He's saying as you get illuminated to God's amazing grace and you begin to respond in faith because faith without works is dead. And so faith is accessing now the grace of God. All these afflictions are coming against you. Just keep doing the will of God. And you're going to see the manifestation of the promise. And then the last verse. For yet a little while and he shall come who will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall not have pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition or destruction. But of them that believe to the saving of your what? Notice if you draw back, you get weary in your soul. But if you press on. Do the will of God. Do what is right. You save your soul. I'll close with an illustration. Years ago, I was walking through the house. And there was an interview on television with Charlton Heston. And Charlton Heston is one of my favorite actors. He's Moses. I call him Moses. He was the star, of course, in the Ten Commandments. And so I've always called him Moses ever since then. So they were interviewing Moses and, and they were going back and forth with things that happened. And they were talking about the movie Ben-Hur. And if you haven't seen Ben-Hur, you need to see that. But there's this race, this chariot race on the wall with Charlton Heston and somebody trying to mess him up. I forget who it was that was, that was racing him and trying to, to, to mess his chariot up, all these kind of things. So anyway, they were having to take take after take after take because Charlton Heston, Moses was having a hard time staying in the chariot. He didn't want to use a he didn't want to use a stunt man. He wanted to do it. And so he had a coach that was coaching him. And the coach finally got frustrated with him and they called him Chuck and the coach said, "Chuck, what is wrong with you? We can't keep taking take after take. It's costing a lot of money." And Charlton Heston Chuck said, "Look, all I can tell you is I'm having a hard time staying in this chariot and winning the race." And the coach just threw his hands up and said, Chuck, just stay in the chariot. I'll see to it that you win the race. (laughs) Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is screaming at the church from heaven. Just stay in the chariot. I'll see to it that you win the race. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, God. Father, I thank you for these precious people, their families, their careers, their destiny. You have called us to be a part of a generational race. You've called us to be a people of grace and to run this race. And as we run it, we will look unto Jesus because He is the director and producer 
author and finisher of our faith. I thank you that you'll give us the grace to lay aside weights as you deal with us individually in your loving care. And I thank you for patience that we're going to develop it. We're going to learn to endure. and We shall prevail in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you've got anything from God giving glory, thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. One of the things I say in closing is whatever you give God thanks for is what you retain. When you're unthankful, you lose all the good and glorious things of God. So maintain a thankful heart. we got two more sessions together tonight at, at 6.30 and Monday night at 6.30. Uh, if you need prayed for, many of you, I understand, have driven a long way. We have altar workers here. I'll tarry if you want prayed for uh, for a little bit with you, uh, especially if you came from, a, from afar. I uh, want you to be blessed in any way we can. But otherwise, I'll turn it over to Pastor Steve. He may have a custom I don't know about on dismissing you. <laughs> Amen. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.